This teaching comes to you from the team at Anchor Church Sydney. We hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources or info, check out our website, www.anchorchurch.com.au. Well, good morning and welcome. Happy Father's Day. Special welcome to uh, anyone who's new with us this morning and special welcome to the fathers as well. If we haven't met before, uh, my name is James and I'm one of the pastors here at Anchor as well as being part of North Gospel Community. Represent. And it is great to be with you guys uh, this morning. Hey, if you've got a Bible, open up to Genesis chapter 39. And uh, we're currently, if you're joining us for the first time or maybe the first time in a little while, we're in our series called The Dreamer, Living in the Care of God's Hidden Hands. And in this series, we're following the story of Joseph and seeing how God is at work through all of the mess of Joseph's life. And I don't know how you walked in here this morning. I don't know what you might be going through at the moment. I don't know how you're feeling, how your week has been. But this morning, I want to encourage you through God's word to know that no matter what you're facing, no matter what mess that might be in your life, God is still at work. And I hope this morning is that you would come away knowing that not only is God at work in the mess of your life, but the situation that you're in doesn't determine God's presence. The situation you're in doesn't determine God's presence, and it's never over when God is involved. So flick open to Genesis chapter 39, and let me pray, and we'll jump into the story. Heavenly Father, we we come to you now expecting to hear what it is that you want to say to us. Jesus, thank you that you are alive and at work. Thank you that this is your church. And so, Lord, we just want to surrender ourselves to you now. And we pray that you would give us the ears to hear what it is that you want to say to us and the hearts to receive what it is that you have for us, God. So meet us now in the midst as we listen. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said? And all God's people said? Amen. 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 We'll flick open Genesis 39, and I'm going to start reading here from chapter 1. Sorry, verse 1. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. And Potiphar An Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, brought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. And when his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. And Potiphar put him in charge of his household And he entrusted to his care everything that he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. And the blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. And with Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food that he ate. And so if you are joining us or you're unfamiliar with the story, where we find ourselves a few chapters ago, we started with this 
main character, Joseph, 17 years of age, second youngest of his 12 or 11 brothers, and the favorite son of his father. And his father loves him so much that he gives him this special multicolored coat, and his brothers despise him. And they don't just despise him because he is his father's favorite, but they despise him too because Joseph has these series of dreams where he sees himself ruling over and lording over his brothers, and he doesn't keep it to himself. He goes and tells them, hey, I'm going to be the best. I'm going to be over you, and you guys are going to bow down to me. His brothers despise him because of this. And so they conspire against him. And one day, Joseph goes out to the fields to meet them with food from his father. And they think to themselves, man, this punk, this arrogant little kid, thinking that we're going to bow down to him? Who does this guy think he is? Let's kill him. And so they conspire to kill him. But fortunately, his brother Reuben, who has some sympathy in his heart or some fear of God, he says, hey, let's not kill him, let's just, let's just throw him into a pit instead, which I suppose is a little bit better. And so they throw him into this pit and they sit down and have lunch. And this traveling band of Ishmaelites comes across their path and they think to themselves, this is our opportunity. Get rid of this little punk once and for all. And so they sell their brother Joseph into slavery. They sell him to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver, and they take him down to Egypt. And that is where we find ourselves here in this chapter. And yet as we find ourselves in these opening verses, we see that despite what's happened to Joseph, God is beginning to raise him up. Despite the fact that he's been despised and sold into slavery and thrown into a pit, he arrives in Egypt. Potiphar, the captain of the guard, buys him, and God begins to raise Joseph up. And it says here that everything Potiphar has is left under Joseph's care because he trusts Joseph that much. Everything that he owns, and, and Potiphar being the captain of the guard of all of ancient Egypt, you can imagine he had some resources at his disposal. He had a serious estate, and he had household servants. And all of this, we're told, is put under the care of Joseph. In fact, Joseph was in charge of everything that Potiphar didn't concern himself with anything except the food that he ate. And not only that, but God actually blesses Potiphar through Joseph. And so what we see in this first scene is that Joseph, Joseph has the Midas touch. I mean, he's blowing up. Everything that he touches is turning to gold. God's favor is with him. In verse three, it says, the Lord was with him and the Lord gave him success in everything that he did. And so Joseph started at the pit, started at the bottom, but now he's here ruling over Potiphar's household. What happens next? Let's, let's read on and see. In verse 6b. And now Joseph was well built and handsome, and after a while his master's wife took notice, of, took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master doesn't concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he is entrusted to my care. 
No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. And so what we see playing out in this next scene is basically the ancient version of Desperate Housewives. I mean, Potiphar's wife, she's just chilling at home, sitting on her sofa. She sees Joseph attending to the household and she thinks to herself, wow, Joseph, okay, got to get me some of that. And so she comes on to Joseph and she's like, Joseph, you want to Netflix and chill? Come into my room. She throws herself at Joseph. I mean, this is full on. There's no coffee date here, no invitation to dinner or a meal by the pyramids. I mean, she's like straight on, Joseph, come into my bed. She's crazy. Except that she's married. And that would be adultery and sinning not just against Potiphar, not just against Potiphar's wife, not just against Joseph, but against God himself. And this is exactly what Joseph says. You see, in the face of enticing temptation, Joseph models godliness. Joseph models holiness, obedience, and faithfulness. And isn't it, isn't it interesting that Joseph doesn't say, how then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against Potiphar or against you? But he says, against God. He knows that his sin, first and foremost, would be against God. But, but what happens next? Well, let's keep reading and see. Verse 11. Well, one day he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants was inside. And so Potiphar's wife caught him by his cloak and said, Come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. And when she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. And when he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. And she kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. And then she told him this story. That Hebrew slave that you brought us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. And when his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me, he burned with anger. And Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. And so the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. And so what we see here is that Joseph, he rejects Potiphar's wife's advances. He spurns her, and she's probably feeling rejected. She's probably feeling offended. I mean, she's almost royalty in Egypt. And who is this 
Hebrew slave boy to refuse me? Who, who does he think he is? And so she makes up this story, and when Joseph runs out of the house, she keeps his cloak and tells all the house servants, hey, he tried to come on to me. He made advances at me. He invited me to sleep with him. And she fabricates this story, which is essentially everything that she says is the exact opposite of what actually happened. Because it was her that made the advances, not Joseph. It was her that invited Joseph to bed, not him. And it was Joseph who had run away, not because he was afraid of her, but because he was trying to be obedient to God. And then she tells her husband Potiphar, and he believes her. And he throws Joseph into jail. And so Joseph is falsely accused, he's convicted, and he's thrown into a prison for something that he didn't do. You know, a few months ago, I was watching the Netflix series, uh, When They See Us. And when I was reading this story, it kind of reminded me of that Netflix series because it's about these five boys who grew up in New York and they live in Manhattan and they get falsely accused and convicted and jailed for sexual crimes that they didn't do. And I remember uh, watching that first episode, seeing them being coerced into giving confessions of things that they didn't do, and I was crying at the injustice. I was these guys are innocent. They, they didn't do this, this is so unfair. And in this story, I think we see that same injustice as Joseph is falsely accused and thrown into prison for something that he didn't do. And so what are we to make of all of this? As we read this thousands of years later, what what does this mean for us? Well, I think this story tells us three things. And the first thing is this. The story tells us that the situation doesn't determine God's presence. The situation doesn't determine God's presence. You see, in our lives, we're going to face highs and lows. We're going to face seasons of what would seem to be worldly prosperity and success and blessing, where everything is going smoothly, and we're going to face days of injustice where things have been done to us wrongly, where we'll be accused of things that we haven't done, and we're going to face seasons of suffering. We find ourselves in the pit. And yet, no matter what situation we find ourselves in, God is still there. God is in it, in all of it, in the highs and the lows, the good and the bad, the prosperity, the injustice, and the suffering. And so being a follower of Jesus, it doesn't guarantee us lives that will only be prosperous any more than it guarantees us a life that will be full of suffering. In fact, we should expect to experience both. And I don't know how you came in here today. I don't know what you're facing, what you have faced. I don't know what's happened to you this week. But I came here to tell you that the situation that you're in doesn't determine God's presence. You see, we see that clearly in this passage. We see Joseph experience, (coughs) excuse me, the highs of prosperity He's ruling over Potiphar's household. Everything is under his care. 
It would seem that everything is going well and he's being blessed. And yet only 10 verses later, he's on the verge of being thrown into prison for something that he didn't do. God is there in the prosperity and he's there in the prison. And you know, there would be types of teaching out there in the Christian world that would want you to believe that following Jesus means that you only ever experience blessing and prosperity in this lifetime. But this story should show us that that isn't the case. Because Joseph goes from this massive high to this massive low, and to compound that, he didn't even do anything wrong to get in that situation. He actually did the right thing. He showed integrity. He was obedient to God. And yet he finds himself now in another pit, this time made of bars and metal. And on the flip side, there'll be types of teaching out there that might have you believe that being a Christian means following Jesus is all about hardship and suffering and that's it. And you need to grit your teeth and be holy because that's what it looks like to follow Jesus, but that simply also isn't the case. God is in all of it. We can't determine the situations that we'll be in, but what we can know is that God is in every single one. The prosperity, the injustice, the suffering, and the situation doesn't determine his presence, but rather his faithfulness to his people. So he's the God of the palace, and he's the God of the prison He's the God of the highs and he's the God of the lows. In every situation, he is in it. Second thing this story shows us is that sexual holiness is possible. I mean, think about it. Think about, put yourself in Joseph's shoes and think about the advances that Potiphar's wife was making to him. It would have been so easy for him to have given into that temptation. I mean, think about what he might have been thinking in that situation. I mean, if I was Joseph, I would be tempted to think, man, I've had a pretty rough go. My brothers hate me. They threw me in a pit. I got sold for 20 pieces of silver because clearly that's how much my brothers think I'm worth. I got put in this foreign land which is totally unfamiliar to me. I've had the hardest, roughest life. So why not just indulge myself a little bit? I mean, after all, Potiphar, she's the one who came on to me. It's not like I'm trying to make it happen. She's she's offering herself to me. Why not just have a little bit of fun? I mean, don't I deserve that after all the suffering and the pain that I've been through? It would have been so easy for Joseph to give in to Potiphar's wife. I mean, she wanted him. And to be honest, it doesn't sound like if they had done anything, she was going to reveal anything anyway. And yet Joseph's response is staggering. See with me again what he says in verse 9. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. And you know, the first time I heard this story, I thought, wow, Joseph, what a guy. I mean, he said no in the face of temptation. That is a godly example to follow. But you know, reading it and studying it this week, I realized he didn't just say no once. 
He said no day after day. Day after day, Potiphar's wife came and invited him. Hey, come to bed with me. Come sleep with me. And day after day, he said no. Holiness is possible. What an example that Joseph gives us here to follow. And you know, we can't hide from the fact that I think our society has a pretty low view on sexual holiness, a pretty low view on sexual purity. I mean, we live in a culture that encourages sexual exploration before marriage, thinks that pornography use is normal and just something to be accepted as an everyday part of life, and even has websites where people can pursue extramarital affairs. I mean, every second song that we listen to, every second Netflix show that we watch basically celebrates expressing your sexual desires and urges under the cultural tags which we have made idols, freedom, individualism, self-expression. And it would be completely naive to think that we haven't let this mentality seep into the church and seep into our own lives. And maybe right now you would, you would want to stop me and say, whoa, 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 James. I mean, come on. What we're talking about here, Joseph essentially is sleeping with his boss's wife. I mean, I would never do that. That's way worse than my sexual sin. And yet doesn't Jesus say on the Sermon on the Mount that even to look at another person with lustful intent is to commit adultery in our hearts? Doesn't Jesus raise the bar? But Joseph is showing us here that holiness is possible. That you don't have to give in to temptation. That the relieving of your urges and desires is not the inevitable outcome waiting to happen, but you can actually say no in the face of temptation. And I know for some of us here in the day and age that we live in, this is an uncomfortable thing to talk about. It's an uncomfortable word that perhaps doesn't sit right with you, but I just want to remind you, this isn't me trying to preach on you and give you my interpretation. This is Jesus' words on the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord that we claim to follow and believe in. And so to the person here today who perhaps has given up on fighting temptation, who feels just overwhelmed, that defeat is inevitable, so I may as well just do it anyway, I want to say this to you. I want to say you can win. You can say yes to holiness and no to sin. For it says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul says, For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power and love and self-discipline. If you trust in Jesus, God has put his spirit in you, and he is not a spirit that makes you powerless to fail time and time again, but he is a spirit who gives you power and fills you with love for God and enables you to live with self-control and self-discipline. But perhaps you're here today and as you hear this story of Joseph's integrity, you just feel guilt and shame just compound down on you. And you think to yourself, I could never do that. I've gone too far. I'm I'm a sinner. I'm weak, I'm guilty, and for you, I want to say, cast your eyes to Jesus. For this is what it says in Hebrews chapter 4, 
starting in verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who was unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. And let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. See, your behavior doesn't define who you are. The mistakes that you might have made, maybe the mistakes that you're still making, they don't define who you are because you have a great high priest whose name is Jesus and he was tempted in every single way that we are, yet he didn't sin. And so he empathizes with you and he knows what you face and he has grace and mercy for you. And he says, come to me. Come to me. I empathize with you. I know the temptations that you've faced, but I have grace and mercy for you to get up and keep going. Holiness is possible. And so this story shows us that the situation doesn't determine God's presence. Sexual holiness is possible. And thirdly, it's never over when God's involved. It's never over when God is involved. I mean, I want you to think about Joseph's life to this point. It's been an absolute roller coaster. I mean, he, he comes out and starts on this high. He's his father's favorite son. He gets this awesome swag coat. But then he gets thrown into a pit. His brothers hate him. He gets sold into slavery. But then from that low, he rises again to be over Potiphar's household. I mean, this would be very confusing for Joseph, right? I mean, like... God, are you blessing me? Are you cursing me? Like, what's happening? There's prosperity, but then I'm being thrown into a pit, then I'm being sold into slavery, but now I'm having success again. And then finally, he faces injustice and he's thrown into prison. I mean, what do you think would have been going through his mind at this point as he sits there in the prison cell being condemned for something that he didn't do? God, why? God, God, where are you? What are you doing? Why is this happening to me? I'm innocent. I didn't do anything wrong. In fact, I actually did the right thing, and yet here I am in prison. Where are you? And I don't know how you came in this morning, but I wonder, are you in that place? where something's happened to you, maybe something's been done to you, something unjust, or you're in a season where you've hit rock bottom and you're suffering and you're thinking to yourself, God, why? From what I can see, it doesn't seem like you're in this. Where are you? But I came here to tell you this morning that it's never over when God's involved. It's never over when God is involved because he is a promise maker and a promise keeper. And see what starts to happen here in verse 20. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. And he showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. And so the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison and he was made responsible for all that was done there. And the warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. 
You see, regardless of how Joseph might have been feeling, despite what Joseph might have been thinking in that situation, the situation doesn't determine God's presence, and God was still there, even though he wasn't experiencing prosperity anymore, and now he was in the pit of prison, God was still there, and God was beginning to work good for Joseph. It's never over when God is involved. And I don't know if you noticed there, the words that it says in those verses that I just read out. But Joseph ends up in the exact same situation that he was in in Potiphar's household. God gave him success in everything that he did. And what does it say? The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in everything. See, despite the fact that he gets wrongfully accused and imprisoned, despite the fact that he's no longer living in a palace, God makes the warden put everything under Joseph's care, just like he did with Potiphar, because God is at work. It's never over when God is involved, because he's a promise maker and he's a promise keeper. And you know, as Joseph sat there in that prison cell, here is what he needed to remind himself. He needed to remind himself that just three generations previously, back in Genesis chapter 12, God had made a promise to his great granddaddy Abraham that he was gonna turn him into a great nation and that through this great nation, he would be a blessing to all people. And God keeps his promises. And so despite what Joseph's eyes could see in the physical reality of the prison around him, God was gonna keep his promise. God was gonna get him out of this situation. The prison wasn't gonna be the end because God was gonna lift him up and use him to bless all people. And you might be here today and feel like you're in the pit of suffering. Or maybe you've hit rock bottom because of something that's happened in your life, perhaps something that's been wrongfully done to you. But no matter what situation you're facing, I want you to know that it's never over when God is involved because He is a promise maker and He is a promise keeper. And you know, He hasn't given you perhaps the same promises that He gave to Joseph back in that day, but He has given you your own promises. And He has promised that He will never leave you or forsake you. He's promised that He's gonna finish the good work that He's begun in you. He's promised you the Holy Spirit and that when you draw near to Him, He'll fill your heart with peace. And He's promised you that ultimately, no matter what you're facing, no matter what your reality is, no matter what the circumstance says, He is working all things for the good of those who love Him. It's the God we worship the God we believe in. It's never over when God is involved. And you know, ultimately, God did keep His promise to Abraham, although perhaps not in the way that He might have predicted. You see, long after Joseph's day came a descendant from Abraham called Jesus Christ. And He came and died on the cross and rose to life, bringing blessing to all people. You see, Jesus is the proof that God keeps His promises. Jesus is the proof that God keeps His promises. And He came here to bring blessing 
to bring forgiveness, to bring a fresh start to anyone who would admit their need, that they're broken and in need of saving, in need of forgiveness. Jesus comes bringing that blessing. And this is His promise to you this morning, that if you trust in Him, that He died for you on the cross in your place and was raised to life for you, then you can know forgiveness and a fresh start. You can know relationship with the God who will never leave you or forsake you no matter what situation you're in. He will always be there for you. He keeps His promises. And so if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, if you haven't given your life to Him, if you don't follow Him, I want to invite you to do that this morning. Because, you know, we don't just come here to talk about God. We actually want to give you an invitation to know God. And two, if you want to start following Jesus today, you don't have to be a perfect person. You don't have to have all the answers. But all you need to do is cry out to God and say, God, I know I'm a mess. I know I'm broken. I know I need your forgiveness. Would you come and meet me in this? Would you come and meet me? I want to trust in what Jesus Christ has done for me. And so as we move to a time of response, if you want to start following Jesus today, when we sing these songs, I want to invite you to do something courageous. I want to invite you to come out of your seats when we're singing this song and head to the back, find someone with an orange lanyard that's part of our prayer team and tell them, hey, I want to make a decision today to follow Jesus. And they would love to pray for you, they'd love to listen to you, to embrace you, to help you take that next step. But for those of us who do trust in Jesus, as we come to a time of worship and reflection and response now, I wanna invite you to come and take the Lord's Supper. And as you come and take of the bread, which is symbolic of Jesus' body broken for us, and as you drink of the wine, which is symbolic of Jesus' blood shed on the cross for our forgiveness to wash us clean, know that you are encountering Him. Come into His presence and rest in the truth that He is the promise keeper, that He's the God of the promise and you share in the blessing that He has. Without striving, without performing, come and take the Lord's Supper. Trust in what Jesus Christ has done for you. And we're gonna worship. We're gonna sing to this promise keeper and thank Him for all that He has done. We're gonna lift our eyes of faith to see God in the midst of our circumstances, whatever they might be. So why don't you stand to your feet? I'm gonna pray and then we'll sing. Father God, I just thank you this morning that you have met us here in the midst. I thank you that you have spoken words to us, Lord, that we need to hear this morning. And I pray, Father, for anyone who's going through a season of injustice, a season of suffering where it looks like they've hit rock bottom, it feels like they're in the prison, they can't see how you're in that, how you're at work. God, would you give them the eyes of faith? Would you help them to see that it's not the situation that determines your presence, but it's the fact that you are the God who keeps the promises that you make and you are near to us. You are in it every single bit of our lives. And I pray for anyone, Lord, this morning who wants to take that step to put their faith in you and to follow you, God. 
Give them the courage, Lord, to take that step this morning, to know that this isn't just an emotional moment, this isn't just something that's happening in a church service, but this is real, Lord. This is you knocking on the door of their heart saying, let me in. And so God, we wanna worship you this morning for who you are, for what you have done. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.